You're listening to a Bellingcat Discord server stage talk titled Tracking Ghost Ships Using Open Source Radar Imagery. The talk features Ollie Ballinger, a lecturer at University College London and tech fellow and contributor to Bellingcat. Ollie spoke to us about a new tool that he's developed for tracking ships using a technology called Synthetic Aperture Radar. The stage talk was hosted by Giancarlo Fiorella on the Bellingcat Discord server on March 9th, 2023. Our guest today is Ollie Ballinger. He is here to talk to us about tracking ghost ships using open source radar imagery. That's been in the news not only sort of in the outside world, but also here in the server where there's been lots and lots of work over the last year, uh, the last uh, couple of days, <laughs> it feels like a year. Oh my goodness, what a week. Over the last couple of days where we've had a lot of people here on the server uh, trying to track down the ship that supposedly was involved in the Nord Stream um, incident. So um, very timely talk here by Ali. Ali is a lecturer in geocomputation at the Center for Advanced Spatial Analysis at University College London and a tech fellow slash contributor at Bellingcat. He has a PhD from Oxford Department of International Development, where his research focused on developing computational methods for the study of insurgent recruitment in Turkey. Oh my goodness, what a bio. Ali, thank you so much for joining us and the microphone is yours. Uh, amazing. Thanks, Giancarlo. Um, I was, <laughs> I, I had sort of a, um, I was wondering how long it would take for us to get to Nord Stream, and I'm glad that it only took about <laughs> 10 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Nord Stream in a bit. Um, just to spoil things, I don't have anything new to contribute there, sadly, but um, good to discuss um, how, how this work might fit into that, that sort of analysis. Um, but yeah, so I suppose I'll start from um, from the top there. So I should say what I'm going to be talking about today draws on some work that uh, we're doing, um, sort of two articles that will be coming out hopefully quite soon, um, within the next week or so maybe, uh, that involve um, tracking ships that are up to no good. Um, and there's sort of a two part i'm 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 being very vague here because um i you know i want you guys to read the article when it comes out and i don't want to spoil anything but um in general there is a sort of problem that a lot of the time the activities that ships undertake especially when they're uh nefarious you know illegal uh are are hard to track right they deliberately make themselves hard to to track when they are doing things that the, they don't want people looking into, as I'm sure a lot of you have um, learned now that you're looking into the, the Nord Stream um, affair. But before I, I sort of start talking about, you know, the approach that we've taken to tracking these ghost ships, I thought I would just define a couple terms specifically, two acronyms that I'm going to be using quite a bit. Um, the first is AIS, which is maybe one that you've all heard before if you've been thinking about ships recently. Uh, that stands for Automatic Identification System. 
Um, and the second one is SAR, uh, I'm going to call it SAR, uh, that stands for Synthetic Aperture Radar, that is a type of satellite imagery uh, that uses radio waves to image rather than optical. Um, so I'll, I'll get into a slightly um, more detailed definition of those terms in a second. But uh, yeah, first, AIS, um, if you are a boat and you are navigating at sea, in order for you to not crash into other boats, you need to be uh, broadcasting your, your location at all times. Uh, and this is actually, uh, in, insofar as there is such a thing as international law, um, a legal requirement by the IMO. There's a convention that states, you know, if you're a commercial vessel um, over a certain size, you are required to broadcast a lot of information about your vessel. Um, you need to broadcast your exact location at all times, um, your speed, your bearing, your identity, um, and that identity is conveyed in, in a couple of ways. Uh, there's a, a unique identifier unique to your ship, or it should be unique to your ship, called uh, MMSI. Um, that stands for uh, Maritime Mobile Service Identities. You can think of this sort of as like a phone number for your um, ship. And in the same way that your phone number has to be unique so that people can call you and not the five people that share your phone number, the MMSI number is uh, meant to be unique. Um, sometimes it isn't, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, another um, form of identi identification that you're meant to provide in your AIS uh, signature is your IMO number. This is the uh, International Maritime Organization number, uh, and that's sort of a number that is a unique ship identifier um, and it's like registered to the owner of the ship. And again, it, it is unique. Um, so uh, all, all ships above a certain size have to be broadcasting this information uh, more or less continuously. And, and this is chiefly for sort of safety reasons, because you don't want ships sort of banging into each other at sea. Uh, and if visibility is low, you know, you don't want um, you, you want to have a good sense of like where the ships are uh, at all times and, and where they're headed makes makes a lot of sense. Um, now, the AIS data is sort of widely available. You know, we, we use a lot of terms like open source uh, or open access for, for data. Um, the AIS data sort of falls into the like almost like freemium category of, of data. It is technically uh, available to, uh, it is technically available publicly, but um, some, so if you go to a website like marinetraffic.com, uh, which again, if, if some of you have been looking into ships recently, will be familiar with, with marine traffic. Damn, the chat is going off. I love it. Uh, <laughs> so we've got a link to marine traffic in the chat. Um, if you click on there, you'll see a bunch of dots on a map, and those dots may or may not be moving, and they, the dots may actually have a, a specific shape, and that shape uh, will be um, drawing on, again, the AIS information being transmitted by that, uh, by that ship, and it'll tell you also like what type of ship it is. Is this an oil tanker? Is this a bulk carrier? Uh, is it a container ship? Whatever. So it's uh, we get tons and tons of, of data that is open access. Now, marine traffic, um, the, the 
sort of view that you'll get if you just click that link is a, yeah just a big map and it's showing the current position of fleets um marine traffic also provide historical data so you can go back in time and see whether or not ships were present at a certain point in time uh, obviously useful for things like you know a certain explosion in the north sea uh, so the, the um, accessing that data is slightly harder um, you, you need to use an API, uh, you need to get, uh, you either need to register for a free trial or, or pay for the service. Uh, but in any case, AIS data, uh, plentiful in the context of um, like general legal maritime activity and relatively easily accessible. Um, and this is a really handy way of tracking uh, any sort of ship that you could be interested in. If you want to track like Jeff Bezos's yacht, you know, you just go to Marine Tracker, you put, um, uh, you know, you, you, um, you find some identifier for that vessel, and then you can track that vessel on, on Marine Traffic. Um, how do you, so we got a, a, a question in the chat, which is how do they receive tra uh, traffic outside of the coastal range? So. Um, typically, AIS is broadcast via uh, VHF sort of radio frequency, but the newer standard, AIS-2, requires ships to also broadcast uh, to satellite if they are out of range of a, um, uh, of like a ground receiver. So you get pretty great AIS coverage uh, all around the world and very, very useful source of data for tracking legitimate shipping activity. Now, the issue is that, um, now I'm not a sailor. I don't have like specific knowledge of like how, like where in the boat the transponder is located, but um, it is ultimately like a radio broadcast beacon and can be turned on or off by the ship's captain or indeed anyone who has access to this uh, transponder, right? So. It's you know notionally illegal to turn off your transponder. Um, I think you know uh, there are a couple scenarios in which it's sort of permitted, uh, but they're extremely extremely rare use cases. Um, the general rule is that you have to be constantly broadcasting AIS. Now, the issue is that if you're doing something shady on a boat, broadcasting your location and identity is or probably like counterproductive to what you're trying to do, right? So a lot of illegal activity uh, involves ships turning off their AIS. So this can be for a number of reasons. There are also, I should say, countries or country singular, North Korea in particular, uh, that don't recognize the IMO and don't recognize um, the uh, requirement for AIS. So if you look at marine traffic and you look at the port of uh, Ningbo, which is the largest port in, um, in North Korea, you will probably not see loads of um, AIS pings. And that's because North Korean flagged cargo ships typically don't use AIS. Um, but it's not just North Korean flagged cargo ships, it's um, you know, Chinese fishing vessels that are fishing in marine protected areas. So you've got like the Great Barrier Reef and various other parts of the ocean 
where uh, fishing is illegal to protect wildlife. Um, you know, if anyone could just head on down to marine traffic and see, hey, look, there are 50 trawlers in this marine protected area, your illegal fishing operation would get busted pretty quickly. So what ships tend to do is they'll set off from their port towards, um, you know, if this is the illegal fishing use case, towards a marine protected area. And they'll typically be broadcasting AIS while they're in the exclusive economic zone of a country. So while they're within the territorial waters of a country, but then the second they get to international waters, they will turn the AIS off. And if you get historical um, data from marine traffic, you can see this happen really clearly. Uh, if, you, if there's a ship that you're following that you know is up to something illegal, um, you can see a bunch of dots that show the ship's historical location. Um, you can see those dots heading for a maritime border, like outside of a country's um, you know, uh, exclusive economic zone, and then the signals just stop. And then that ship typically reappears after a couple of weeks or months when it re-enters the territorial waters of, of a country. But it was dark when um, it was in international waters, and we have no way of knowing where that ship was during that period or what it was doing using AIS. Um, and there's an organization called Global Fishing Watch, which if you uh, haven't checked them out, you should definitely check them out. They are really fantastic um, organization, do a lot of really advanced work to crack down on, or at least expose um, illegal fishing and, and this sort of thing. Um, but in any case, we, we sort of hit our limits in terms of tracking uh, illegal or um, nefarious activity using AIS data. So um, by definition, yeah, you probably aren't going to be broadcasting your position and identity while you're illegally fishing or smuggling or blowing up Nord Stream, right? Uh, so what other ways are there to identify ships other than their transponders? Well, you know, this is Bellingcat, uh, <laughs> a lot of the main data source that Bellingcat uses for a lot of stuff is satellite imagery. Um, and optical satellite imagery is really great. Oh yeah, before I move on from AIS, someone put a really, really great link in the chat um, about spoofing. Um, so you can either cut out your AIS signal, right? You can like uh, turn off your transponder. This is what I, um, this is why I was talking about your phone number being unique earlier on. Um, you can turn off your AIS transponder, but also what a lot of uh, ships do is they broadcast sort of an like a partial AIS signal that makes it impossible to actually identify the ship, but they are still broadcasting their location and uh, speed. So what they do is they broadcast instead of um, a valid MMSI number, like a valid phone number for your ship, as it were, um, think of it as if I gave you, instead of my full phone number, um, just the first three digits of my phone number. It would be impossible for you to identify my phone, but you could say that this is a phone number um, and you can tell what uh, country the ship is flagged in. So the first three numbers of an MMSI number uh, will denote the, the uh, country that the ship is flagged in. So for example, a Russian flagged vessel 
will have uh, an MMSI number that starts with uh, 273, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then typically it will be 273 followed by a bunch of other numbers, but what um, ghost fleets do, so ships acting illegally um, in, in sort of concert, what they do is they broadcast the same sort of partial MMSI number. So 273-000000, for example. Um, so this is called spoofing. Uh, you can also broadcast someone else's MMSI number. So you can fake um, the identity of a different ship. And some ships have even been able to fake the uh, identity of uh, warships. Uh, it should also be noted that typically warships also do not broadcast AIS for, for obvious reasons. So these are our use cases. Incidentally, all of the things that we are probably interested in as open source investigators, uh, you know, movements of military vessels, um, illegal fishing, uh, smuggling, sanctions evasion, all of these things, unfortunately, are things that are probably fairly hard to track just using AIS data. Um, so the um, alternative is to use satellite imagery, right? Because you can't really hide from a satellite image. And optical satellite imagery is really good for um, getting a sense of whether or not there are ships present in an area that don't have their AIS signal up and running. Um, the issue with satellite imagery, particularly as it pertains to uh, the sea, is that the uh, you know there tends to be not just clouds that you have to worry about when you're using satellite imagery, but over water or specifically in sort of uh, literal areas, so where land and water meet, um, you get fog very often. So you not only have lots of clouds, but you get generally very poor visibility. And um, if you look up a term called cloud fraction, uh, there, that is, oh God, my phone is always listening. Um, uh, cloud fraction denotes like the amount, the proportion of a month or a time period that is cloudy at a given location. And the cloud fraction for sort of coastal areas in uh, a lot of like central Northern Europe uh, or China um, is, can approach like a 0.8. Uh, it can be like 80% of the time, you know, you, you can get clouds in some areas in certain months of the year. So it makes it then really hard to track ships using optical satellite imagery as well. Uh, luckily, and this is where we get into SAR, um, synthetic aperture radar is a different type of satellite that doesn't rely on um, basically taking pictures of the Earth. The way it sees the Earth is by sending a pulse of radio waves uh, down to Earth, and then measuring the nature of the reflected signal. And this is similar to the way a bat sort of sees the world. Uh, it, it emits calls and it listens to the echo of that call. So you can think of this satellite, synthetic aperture radar satellite, um, almost as like a bat seeing the Earth. And what that does is allows you to penetrate through clouds because radio waves can penetrate through materials. It's the reason that, for example, you can make a call uh, from indoors or you can get Wi-Fi in one room despite your router being in another room. Uh, radio waves can travel through, uh, through materials, including clouds. And 
not only can they travel through clouds, they can also image uh, at night because you don't need sunlight in order to take an image. Um, if you're sending a pulse of radio waves and measuring backscatter, you can do that just as well at 1 a.m. as you can at, at 1 p.m. Now, uh, this is useful because a lot of nefarious activity that we might be interested in probably happens at night, right? If you're smuggling, are you going to do that in broad daylight or are you going to wait for nightfall to load the, the goods onto the ship? So in using optical satellite imagery to track um, uh, this sort of activity, we face two further challenges, which are clouds, fog, and um, sort of nighttime activity. Uh, and synthetic aperture radar solves most of these problems. Um, now, you also, another benefit of synthetic aperture radar is that um, you don't uh, even need to use particularly advanced methods in order to detect a ship um, because if you think of it as, uh, you know, is there something on this very flat surface or is there not something on this flat surface? And we're assessing that on the basis of a reflected signal on that surface. You can't see it, but I'm gesticulating a lot <laughs> in trying to explain this. Um, and if you want a more sort of thorough explanation of, of how this works, uh, check out the articles that will be coming, coming soon. But basically, um, if you think about uh, a very flat surface like the sea, it's quite straightforward to detect a 300 meter long hunk of metal floating on top of this flat surface if the information that you're getting is sort of textural, right? If you're getting, um, if there's something basically present on the water to reflect that signal. So what we've put together for this article is a tool that lets anyone sort of draw a, uh, an area of interest like a box and it will automatically detect um, the, the presence of ships in that area over time using synthetic aperture radar. So it will count the, it can automatically identify um, things on the water that are reflecting the signal. Uh, and obviously this is uh, an assumption because there can be things on the water that reflect the radio waves that are not ships, like a buoy or something. And the tool also automatically measures the length of the object that it has detected. So what you can do is set a minimum cutoff in length for the objects that you're trying to detect. So you can say, um, detect everything in this area that is over 100 meters in length, right? And then you can be probably fairly confident that you're only going to be detecting uh, large sort of commercial vessels and not things like buoys. Um, or if you're interested in only like the really big shipping vessels of a certain class, for example, you could you could make that cutoff, you know, um, uh, 200 meters or even 300 meters. Um, if you remember the Ever Given getting stuck in the Suez Canal, I think that was a 400 meter ship. So um, what this tool does is allows anyone to monitor the uh, presence of a ship at a given location or in an area over time, uh, independent of AIS and clouds and uh, daytime or nighttime. So the tool uses Sentinel-1, which is a uh, publicly available 
satellite uh, run by the European Space Agency, uh, it used to image uh, quite frequently. Um, its revisit rate, so we had in the past, um, in 2021, there were about 240 observations, images of a given location, sort of, you know, uh, relatively, you know, not at extreme uh, latitudes. We had about 240 observations per year. Um, so that's about, that's you know, like several times per week. Um, unfortunately, one of the two satellites in this constellation is uh, broken. So as of 2022, we get around half that. So we get around um, 120 per year. Um, so that's about once to, it's like two, two to three times per week. Um, now, this isn't super frequent, but it is 100% reliable in terms of you are guaranteed to have that many observations, um, regardless of the time of day, regardless of the weather, regardless of whether or not people uh, have their transponders turned on or off. Now, what this is particularly useful for, and um, I will continue to be quite vague, until the articles are published. But if there is a particular, um, you know, peer that you're interested in, in a specific port, and you are um, suspicious of the fact that there are very few AIS signatures at this port, uh, or at this peer in this port, but you maybe have looked at some optical satellite imagery or you've received some tip or you just have a hunch that there is actually a lot of activity at this pier, um, at this berth, but that it's simply not being uh, reported, that it's, that it's not taking place with um, corresponding AIS signals. What you can do using this tool is draw a box around that pier and every time a ship docks at the pier and the Sentinel-1 satellite takes an image, the tool will automatically detect not only whether or not there is a ship present during that time, um, it will also measure the length of that ship and uh, you can load in imagery going back to 2015 all the way until now and it automatically ingests new imagery. Um, you can uh, click on various points in the graph that it generates. So it'll, it'll give you a graph where um, the x-axis is uh, time, so the, the date of the imagery, and the y-axis is the number of ships that are detected. Uh, you just have to use your imagination uh, until next week. And uh, then you can click on points in that graph, and it will actually load in the radar image from that day to allow you to visually check whether or not there was indeed a ship present at that location. Now. Yeah, so, so one of the use cases for this would be to um, look at a specific port. Uh, this is, yes, this is a freely accessible tool that we are about to publish. Um, I, I'll, I'll, I'll answer more questions when we get to the Q Yeah, yeah, let's just get through the talk and then I'll, I'll, I have them all lined up here, Ali, so don't worry. Oh, great, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I, I'll, I'll, I can't stop looking at the chat because there's actually interesting stuff going on in there. Um, but yeah, so one of the one of the use cases would be if you were to monitor 
uh, down to a specific here in a specific port to track activity there, regardless of whether or not the transponders are turned on. So let's say there's a peer that you're uh, that you suspect is being used for smuggling systematically, um, but you're getting no AIS pings. You can count the frequency of ship detections at that location using radar imagery. Um, alternatively, you can search a broader area, not too broad, because uh, this is still a, quite a sort of computationally uh, intense operation, right? You're loading in quite a bit of, of data. Um, so if you load in too big of an area, it'll be very slow. But if you want to monitor, say, like the mouth of a port um, over the course of a year, you can see how many ships are detected within that area over time, again, independent of, um, of AIS. So if you look at North Korea, for example, which had one of the lowest, um, sorry, one of the strictest lockdowns for, for COVID, we don't really have a lot of great economic data on North Korea, right? I don't even know if they published GDP statistics, but even if they did, they probably wouldn't be very trustworthy, right? Um, one of the things that you can do to assess, you know, maybe North Korea's economic recovery from COVID is if you draw a box around the port of Ningbo, which is you know, the main port in, in North Korea, sort of faces China, um, you can get a sense of how traffic, ship traffic in and out of this port has evolved over time. And uh, you can see sort of exactly when uh, this is, I've, I've played around with this a bit, so I know that it, I know that it works. Um, you can see sort of precisely when and how ship traffic to North Korea resumed to like pre-COVID levels and that sort of thing. So you can get insights into activity at a certain uh, in and out of a specific port. Um, there are also other ports that export certain materials that you may be interested in. Um, you know, seeing how often ships are coming and going from a port that's located near a mine for a specific resource to get a sense of how much of that resource maybe is being exported. Um, if those ships aren't using AIS, you have to turn to other methods. So without revealing again too much about what these articles are about, um, we cross-checked the satellite imagery, the, the SAR detections of ships at several ports, uh, at several piers in uh, like a legitimate port, a port in which no smuggling was happening. And if you can think of it as sort of a two by two grid, right? There are two possibilities. Um, if we're using two sources of data to detect ships, we have a radar image and that radar image is either going to detect a ship or fail to detect a ship. So we have ship, no ship, as detected by synthetic aperture radar, right? And then we also have within sort of a box at a pier, um, was there an AIS signature in that box at the corresponding time uh, of that satellite image, right? Um, and then again, we have two possibilities, yes or no. Uh, so either there is an AIS signal or there isn't. Um, and so what we did to assess the accuracy of this tool was to cross-reference the AIS and the um, SAR ship detections. And there were about a thousand instances in which there was no ship detected by AIS 
and no ship detected by satellite. So the port is just empty. Both of the methods agree. Um, there were 300 instances or almost 400 instances in which the satellite detects a ship and the AIS also detects a ship. So this is probably a legitimate ship. We can see it by a satellite image and it's broadcasting an AIS signal. Um, and less than 10% of the observations were um, like disagreements between the two. So we had about 100 instances in which there was no ship detected by satellite, uh, but there was an AIS signal. So the, the satellite isn't seeing a ship, but there is an AIS signal coming from that, that box at, uh, on the day that the AI, AIS um, signal was, uh, sorry, on the day that the satellite image was taken. But this could be for a variety of legitimate reasons, right? It could be a small tugboat that just zipped in and out of that box that was broadcasting a signal. And um, there are, uh, yeah, so, and, and the tool, remember, is, is uh, at the baseline set to not detect anything under 100 meters. So this could be 100 tugboats. And in fact, when you're docking a big uh, cargo ship, you actually need two tugboats to push it in. So um, it's quite likely that these uh, false negatives are tugboats. And then we have 24 instances in which there is a ship detected by satellite, but no corresponding AIS signal. Um, but you know, this is, again, we have uh, over 1,000 uh, total sort of data points here. So that those numbers that I've just listed out to you correspond to accuracy of around 91, like 92% uh, agreement between AIS and synthetic aperture radar at several legitimate um, peers in, uh, in the port. Um, and then knowing, like having that benchmark of accuracy, we can then look at other places. And if we repeat that same exercise, there are places in which we find hundreds of uh, ships identified by um, satellite that have no corresponding AIS signature. So in, in one particular area that we're looking at, um, there are very, very many ships detected by satellite, very, very few corresponding AIS signatures. And this sort of gives us confidence in saying, okay, it seems like systematically, ships are cutting their transponder signals and showing up to this pier. There's probably something fishy going on here. So that is a very broad and vague overview of uh, the, the work that we're doing that, that will be coming out soon. Um, and perhaps too much detail in the nature of AIS and synthetic aperture radar. But um, yeah, if anyone has any questions at this point, I'd be happy to take some from the chat. Great. Thank you very much for that, Ali. I do have a list of questions here that I have been collecting. And uh, if you're listening, friends, just go ahead and ask your question in the chat and I'll write it down. He'll put it in the queue and I will ask Ali. So first of all, Ali, before we get into the Q&A, if anybody has a question that we cannot get to, um, can they DM you and ask you on Discord? Yeah. Great. Definitely. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter and DM me there. Um, cool. I'm mostly on that. Excellent. Okay. Just in case I, I don't get to them because I have quite a few. So thanks again for that talk, uh, Ollie. Really, really interesting. A lot of good questions here, including one from Lemon. 
Hello, Lemon. Lemon says, or asks rather, if you could change the way ships report data and are tracked or how maritime laws are enforced, what would you change? For example, would you completely scrap AIS or would you change a part of it? Do you think there's technology that isn't being used that should be? Um, that is a that is a great question. I uh, I should say I am uh, so I teach geocomputation, and my sort of um, angle on this is very much from this like satellite imagery perspective. So that's that's more my wheelhouse than like the intricacies of of how um, maritime identity is like broadcast. But I have been looking at AIS for quite a bit of time now, and I have become pretty familiar with its limitations, and there do seem to be quite a few. And the most obvious one is is that you can just turn it off, or that you can manipulate it. Um, I don't know enough about how ships work, or I, uh, if if there were a way of building a ship in which um, there was no way of disabling the AIS transponder. I think that would definitely be good. But then, what do you do with uh, all of the ships that are um, you know, like legacy ships. So that wouldn't really be a solution. I suppose one um, uh, solution would be to move to like an automatic satellite-based system of identifying ships uh, and have that be the standard. The issue is that um, for navigational purposes, which is mainly what AIS is for, uh, it needs to be in like real time. So you can't just have like a, one satellite image per day, right? Because you as a ship that's moving in this direction right now need to know whether or not there's another ship moving towards you in the same direction. So this is also not really a problem that can be solved with satellite imagery as a new sort of standard. Um, but I think maybe some systematic effort to cross-reference AIS with uh, synthetic aperture radar detections of ships and highlight areas in which there are discrepancies, which is incidentally what Global Fishing Watch and maybe some other organizations do, um, is is definitely, I think, um, a step in the right direction to inc increasing like transparency for this sort of thing. Great, thanks for that answer. And thank you, Lemon, for your question. We now have a question from Cyberman. Hello, Cyberman, good to see you. Thank you for coming. The question from Cyberman is, what would the revisit time be for a SAR instrument observing a fishing vessel on the equator? Can you construct a path for a series of such observations? Um, so the revisit time for Sentinel-1 has recently changed uh, due to the one of the two satellites being... Um, broken <laughs> and the revisit frequency now is is like between two to three times per week so it's not really enough unless the ship were traveling very slowly in a very straight line um it's probably not enough to get a path of a specific ship unless there are very few other ships in that area or that ship is somehow um like has other identifying characteristics. So for example, if it is a massive ship, 
and there are no other massive ships in that area. For example, uh, the Moskva, the Russian um, warship that was sunk um, over the summer, I believe, that is a really, really big ship. And it sticks out like a sore thumb in the Black Sea. And if you play around with this tool, you can just set the um, size threshold to just under the size of the Moskva, and you would filter out basically all other ships. So um, the answer to your question is yes and no. Uh, no, probably not high frequency enough to track a ship, um, a ship's path. But if there are other identifying characteristics of that ship, such as the ship being massive, then you can use that to maybe find uh, the ship that you're interested in. Thanks for that. Uh, the next question here is from Sarah NL. Hello, Sarah NL. Good to see you also. And the question is, are you familiar with LRIT and have you been able to use it in your investigations? Um, I have not used LRIT, but I th is it... Um, is it so, so there's a lot of like um services like marine traffic for example combine um ais data from a lot of different um sources so there's like the the radio frequency uh one Ali, sorry, we seem to have lost your audio. It looks like uh, you're speaking from really far away. No. Oh, oh we can hear you. Oh, there we go. That's it. Yeah. Ali is gone. It got it got better. Can you hear me now? Yes, now we can hear you. Hi. Okay, great. Sorry about that. No problem. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So um, I have not used LRIT directly, but my sense is that it may be a part of the general like AIS framework. But uh, I'm I'm not sure. Okay, we'll just let you uh, circle back to Sarah NL. Uh, Sarah NL, if you want to follow up on that, um, you can DM Ollie, who's in the server now. Thanks for the question. We have another one here from Just Ignore the Sharks, who asks, can this tool subtract the list of ships on marine traffic from the ones detected with SAR? This would show you only the shady traffic. That, that would be ideal. Um, unfortunately, um, marine traffic do not allow sort of full and unfettered access to their data. Um, they, they require you to either, uh, you know, use basically to, to buy access to their, their data stream if it's for anything other than like looking around on that map that you were looking at. Some organizations do, um, I think, like purchase access to marine traffic and cross-reference it with uh, SAR data, uh, namely Global Fishing Watch. Um, 
but they sort of aggregate that at the level of um i think like one square kilometer or something so it's not super it's useful for finding finding like general hot spots where there are discrepancies between the two um but if you were interested in like a specific uh you know birth at a specific peer um then it would be less less useful but yeah that um that's not something that the the tool that we put together currently does but if marine traffic are feeling uh feeling generous then i'd love to fold that in somehow cool uh yeah hopefully they're listening please give ollie access to all of your data <laughs> uh uh let's see here we got a couple more questions um this one from sir toasty hi sir toasty one of our great server moderators here toasty sharing now a screenshot of several what looked like several <laughs> ais pings uh yeah and that looks like they're really at the south pole um on land yeah on what would be ice i guess slash land hmm Oof. no maybe yeah. if you um if you sailed at the atlantic with enough speed you could uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe they're they're um like pinging erroneously from that location that's weird yeah okay yeah so it could be um there's also for example to, uh, a funny sort of example of um ais well not ais spoofing but um planes doing a similar thing uh is the antonov airplane um the big uh that big airplane that was in ukraine th uh, that got destroyed since it was destroyed someone has been spoofing it as sort of like running a circle around kiev perpetually with a call sign fuck putin uh so again this is like goes to show how easy it is to manipulate uh mm -hmm. this type of thing so maybe that's what's going on in the in the antarctic but I don't yeah know. yeah weird stuff going on there thank you for thank you for that and thanks for the question um we have another one here this is relating to the tool uh, it's just a point of clarification. Uh, the question is, and I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't write down the name of the person who asked this. I, I apologize. But the question is, is the process of comparison between AIS and SAR done manually, or is that integrated into the tool? Um, so currently, the tool only ingests satellite imagery. Um, and it's in order to... So what it, what it can't do is tell you conclusively that uh, this is a dark ship, right? A ship that's turned its AIS off in order to do shady stuff. Um, what it does is uh, gives you a uh, extremely sort of consistent and reliable estimate of whether or not ships are present at that location. Uh, so you would then have to, in order to establish that the ships that you're detecting are turning their AIS off, you would have to then go and look up uh, the corresponding AIS data. Now, there are um, situations in which just an increase in activity, regardless of whether or not there are corresponding um, AIS signals, are probably of interest to you. Um, if you're monitoring activity at a certain port, um, and you're just interested in the number of ships that are coming and going, and a proportion of those ships maybe have their transponders off, uh, but that's not necessarily your focal point, or it's just to see like how much traffic. It's basically to provide you with um, the sum total of 
traffic coming in and out of that location in a way that can't be manipulated um, at a defined sort of set of points in time. Great. Thanks for that. Uh, we have a question here from uh, Gongha007. Um, another question of uh, clarification. And folks, we have about 10 minutes here uh, with Ollie Ballinger, who's talking to us about ship tracking using satellites. If you have a question, please write it in the chat. As I said, we have about 10 minutes left. Uh, question from Gongha007. Does the radar imagery help in identifying case cases of vessel identity laundering? Um, do you mean sort of spoofing by that? Is sort of what I... Um... Yeah, let's say it's spoofing, yeah. Yeah. Um, so again, it you can't identify conclusively um, specific ships you can't say conclusively so when when you eventually get to use this tool uh hopefully some point next week you will see that um a sar image of a ship is basically a blob um it's a it's an oblong blob and um you can sort of get a vague sense of the shape of that ship if the shape is distinctive but beyond that it's just a ship right it's just a blob so you can't tell um, as you might be able to if you had, for example, high-resolution satellite imagery, uh, like the specific characteristics of that ship and say, oh, it's this color and it has this sort of structure, therefore it is this ship. You can't conclusively link a SAR image uh, with the ship. But um, the, the, so that's the cost. The benefit is that you do get uh, all-weather, daytime, nighttime uh, imagery of a, of a particular area. Now, what's particularly useful is that um, if there are areas in which ships are often spoofing, um, then you, again, can't tell which is which unless, for example, and this is something I think I did come across uh, while writing this article, um, there was like a tanker, like a 200 meter long tanker that was broadcasting the same MMSI as like... Um, a pilot ship, like a tugboat-sized ship. So in that case, if you see two AIS signatures with um, the same MMSI, but one of them is 30 meters long and the other one is 300 meters long, then you can say, okay, well, this is clearly not the same ship twice, right? Even though it's broadcasting the same MMSI. Um, it's clearly two ships broadcasting the same MMSI. This is spoofing. Thanks for that, Ali. Um, speaking of spoofing, if a ship, and this is a question from, I believe, Eridus. Hello, Eridus. If a ship is detected to have their, their AIS disabled or spoofed, is there a place where other ships would report it? Um, I am not 100% sure. There are probably people in the chat who know more about uh, this type of thing than than i do if anyone i think we had a sailor in the chat uh but that's yeah i'm i'm sure there are services that you could appeal to in, in that case the issue um in general with shipping is that the law is, is difficult to enforce when you're constantly going from country to country or spending a lot of time in international waters right like if there is a um if you do see a ship Fly, uh, sailing without 
AIS in the middle of the ocean, um, you know, that that's no one's jurisdiction, really. Uh, the IMO is, a, you know, there's a treaty that countries signed on to, but international law isn't like enforced in the same way that national law is, right? So it makes it, I think, a lot more complicated to, to crack down on this sort of thing. But um, what you can do is, if you identify ships that um, systematically have their AIS cut off, and you know they do sometimes have their AIS on. So for example, they will 100% need their AIS on to, uh, for example, finish a delivery of whatever they are delivering, if they're smuggling, to a legitimate port. So what, what seems to be quite common is um, ships acquiring merchandise illegally so they'll turn their AIS off, go to a, sp a specific port, load up on cargo, but they often then try to deliver that cargo and pass it off as being legally acquired. They'll fill out fake port paperwork that says, oh, it came from this other port legitimately, but they will have AIS on when they approach the legitimate port that they're trying to make a legitimate export to or where they're trying to pass off their goods as legitimate. Um, so if you do see a ship that um, has sort of abruptly turned off its AIS the second it enters international waters, then reappears and then goes into a port to deliver goods, um, and it does that quite a lot, you know what port that ship is delivering its goods to, right? So in that sense, that, that may be something that the people who run that port might be interested in. Um, but that would be one way of sort of approaching that. Great. And uh, on that question there about fishiness uh, happening with uh, ships turning off their AIS and maybe docking into ports for who knows what reason, a final question. This is the last question here from Just Ignore the Sharks. The question is, what are the most common activities that people do when they hide their ship? Um, and they follow that up with saying, I know that there might not be data on this, but I'm just curious. What do you think, Ali? Um, just in terms of the sheer number, I, I'd be pretty confident in saying uh, illegal fishing. So there are a lot of areas, as I mentioned, that are protected, um, a lot of them in the Pacific. And you've got sort of really sophisticated operations where you have entire fleets engaged in illegal fishing in um in these marine protected areas. And they even do this sort of thing where they have what's called a bunkering vessel. So it's, if you think of a, a fleet as being composed of, of two types of ship, you have a bunch of fishing ships that are actually trawling. And then you'll have one really big refrigerated tanker ship. And what that does is um, it means that you can have an entire fleet of fishing vessels and once that fishing vessel is full, it doesn't have to return to land and offload its cargo. It can just go up to the big bunkering vessel, offload its cargo there, and keep fishing. So they can stay out there for like months on end. Uh, and then the bunkering vessel just has to go back to shore. Or, you know, they could probably even time it such that when the big bunkering vessel leaves, another one shows up so the fleet could stay there, you know, indefinitely. And if they have their AIS turned off, um, there's, there's no way of seeing that from, um, from the AIS data, 
but organizations like Global Fishing Watch uh, do sort of uh, spend quite a bit of time and effort trying to identify exactly that type of activity. And they have some fantastic tools of their own and um, even some, some open data uh, on exactly this, on um, bunkering and uh, illegal fishing. And they provide this open data to allow other people to like train machine learning models to identify these sorts of vessels on the basis of, of um, either AIS or satellite imagery as well. So there, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm shilling a lot for, for Global Fishing Watch. I, I have no relationship with them. I just think they're really cool. Um, but uh, yeah, that's maybe a good note to end on uh, is everyone go check out Global Fishing Watch and then read the Bellingcat article that'll come out in the next couple of weeks. Perfect. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, thank you so much, Ali, for a really fascinating talk and for taking the time here to answer questions from our Discord server community. We really appreciate it. So thanks again. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Stage Talk. If you'd like to catch a Stage Talk live and ask the guest questions, join the Bellingcat Discord server by visiting www.discord.gg forward slash Bellingcat. The music you've heard is titled 1983 by Ben Elson and is courtesy of Epidemic Sound.